Well, ooh, boy, that's on. Hello. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Good. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to jump into tonight. We are talking about evangelism. I think all of you were present last week. Um, and so we, do we have any notes? Uh, next week is the School of the Presence hosted by Found Ministries. And so those dates are Wednesday the 21st through Saturday the 24th. And so tonight, sorry, next Wednesday, we will not be teaching on evangelism. Um, and it's going to be at 6 o'clock instead of 6.30. So a small change in time. You're more than welcome to come out. It is going to be on how to host the presence of God and how to walk in uh, practical ways in the presence of God every day, everywhere we go. So that's what the conference is going to be about. It's Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night from 6 to 8. And then that Saturday, we're going to practically apply walking in the presence of God through evangelism. Woo! Um, and so you're welcome to come out and join us 9 a.m. Uh, till noon. And we're going to do some evangelism. Yeah, so it's not per se on evangelism, but it's hosting the presence with evangelism. Like how, how um, hosting the presence is so important in everyday life so that evangelism is spread. So it's just a different take on evangelism than we're taking. So it'll be three nights. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. And we thank you that we get to be your children, that we get to be called by your righteous and beautiful name. And Lord, we thank you that it is a privilege to know you and to walk in relationship with you. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would understand and have revelation regarding your heart towards us and towards the world. God, that we would lean in to your presence tonight and experience intimacy with you, that we would be seen by you and that we would see your heart. And so, God, we ask you to come and to speak tonight, to come in your fullness, to come in greater measures. God, we know that the truth of your word is that you are with us always, every day. God, you are, you are with us. But God, tonight we pray for a special measure of your presence to come tonight in this place with your fullness. And that you would speak and teach and bring revelation. That we would encounter your heart tonight. And that we'd walk away transformed. Uh, Lord, we love you. And we just, we ask you to come be with us. We long for more of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So... Last week was our introduction to evangelism as we talked about an overview of what evangelism is and what it's going to look like for us to go into it. So our next six lessons are going to be breaking down each letter of, of the word gospel. So for example, tonight we're starting with a letter G and for G it's God created us to be with him. God wants to be with us. We were created to be with him, to be in relationship with him. And so each week we're going to explore different letters of the word gospel and the meaning of them. I'm just going to give you that overview now so you have an idea of what to look forward to, what each week is going to be focused on. Um, so tonight you can see a little bit here that we're going to go into our original design. We're going to talk about what the original design of relationship was in God's heart for us. And not next week because of the school, but in two weeks, we're going to go over O, and that is our sin separated us from him. And then the week after, we'll go into S, sin cannot be removed by our good deeds. And then we're going to go into P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Then we'll go into E, <laughs> everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And lastly, L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So as you can see, in the coming weeks, we're going to take a closer look at, at sin, at hell, at God's goodness, about redemption, about how he can pursue us in the midst of our sin, how our sin is removed or what it's not removed by, who paid the price, 
um, what eternal life looks like and what life now on earth looks like in the light of eternity. So those are all things we're going to get into. Um, so there may be some questions that'll arise as we're going through lessons. Um, and if they do, feel free to ask them. Um, we know that certain questions we're going to get more in depth with certain evenings. Um, and so if we hear your question and we go, we're going to get into that in a week or two, uh, then we hope you can join us for those, those evenings as well. Yeah. So the purpose is, you know, and it sounds real basic, but this is, this is the foundation of evangelism. This is the reason why we evangelize is because of the things that we be learning. And we'll also be taking the practical of the gospel and, and giving you ideas and tools on how to share the gospel. So what does that in turn look like? How do I take this knowing it internally and sharing it externally? What does that look like and how to do that? So we will be breaking it down and doing it practically. Um, we just want a firm foundation of understanding the gospel and how to present it well. Yeah, and in addition to that, our other goal is that you would experience a deeper revelation on this because some of us have been saved for a little and some of us have been saved for many, many years. And in both cases, there's things that we either don't know or things that we've fallen out of awareness of. Uh, it's so easy to take for granted the benefits of our salvation. It's so easy to forget the joy of that first love. Um, and so I hope as we go through this, our goal is going to be to rekindle that intimate revelation of God's heart for you. Because I firmly believe that um, that effective evangelism comes out of fresh encounters. And so for, for us to evangelize well and in a way that is transformative for the hearer, um, it has to come from a heart that's on fire. You know, because if, if we just share the gospel out of routine and out of facts, they're probably going to hear it and go, you're just reciting a paper. Like, is there any life behind the words you're saying? Does, does it have any effect in you? What has it done to you? Can I see evidence of it? And so we want to be the evidence of the gospel as well as knowing it deeply. So as we go point by point, we're also going to have these moments of activation, which you can see on the board. And Jeannie rolls her eyes because she knows our activations usually incorporate something uncomfortable. And they do. So, you know, be forewarned. But it's not that uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable as preaching the gospel is. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not that uncomfortable. But... <laughs> But our goal is really that we would come in here into a safe place and experience revelation and intimate moments with the Lord and that we would then be able to carry that hunger and that fire outside of the church walls, outside of our home and our work into a lost and dying world. So that's why you see activation on the board also. But. <sighs> All right. So are you guys ready for round two? Let's go. I like it. One person's ready. Who else? <laughs> okay, well, so tonight we're going to get into God created us to be with him. And it is that simple that God created us to be with him in relationship with him. And so like last week, we're also going to do a walk through the Bible. Um. We're going to get into a bunch of verses, so I have them up here ready for you, um, and we're going to go through them slowly. But right before we do, I want to ask you, have you ever felt um, like there was someone that you really wanted to be friends with, and you weren't sure if they wanted to be friends with you, or there was like someone popular, or maybe there was a boy that caught your eye, a young lady that caught your eye? <laughs> um, <laughs> that you thought, oh man, I wonder what it would like, I wonder what it would be like to be loved by them, to be liked by them, to be wanted by them. You know, maybe a friend in school that you thought had the coolest shoes, was the smartest girl, could run the fastest, and you just wanted to be their friend. And then what it was like to have that friendship. You felt seen, you felt wanted, you felt accepted, you're like, ooh, this is cool. Um, you know, I was telling Angel earlier, I'm going to throw my boyfriend under the bus. So I just started a new relationship. And it's that joy of a new love. It's a joy of being pursued, of being respected and cherished. That feeling of significance, that feeling of acceptance and belonging. 
is so unique to humans. It's something that we were created to crave. It's something we were created to hunger for, to long after. It, it was something, it's our basic need to be loved, to be wanted. And I want to contrast that with, have you ever had a feeling like you weren't wanted? I think we can, we can all think of a moment where we felt rejected or put by the wayside, not exactly invited. Maybe you're the last to be picked for a sport or you tried out for a play and you didn't get the part. Tried out for a job, applied for something and you weren't picked. Maybe there was a time where um, there was a group and they all got a seat and you didn't. You got left out. So we have this contrast of belonging and a lack of belonging. And unfortunately, what's more realistic is that the world around us experiences a feeling of loneliness far off and then it experiences a sense of belonging. And as people of God, and we're gonna look at this as we go through the scriptures, we were people created to belong. Humanity was created to belong to the Lord, created to be in relationship with him. But most of the world doesn't know that. They're unaware of it. And so they're currently living in a state of loneliness, a state of, of misplacement, not knowing where they fit. Yeah, and, and you know, the further we, we get away from the cross, um, I, I just feel like the, the more skewed belonging becomes and, and we're looking for it in all the wrong places. And and I think of our, even our family dynamics of a generation growing up without fathers and mothers and, or both parents are working. And, and so belonging has become more and more relevant. I think it's something we've all been created for, but in our lifetime, I look at children and I see the pain and the suffering that children are having and what they're going through and just, just the, the loneliness in our world and society and, and, and now with COVID, it's just, it is so great. I, I don't know about you, but I can walk, I can walk in a place and feel lonely and feel the loneliness of the people around me and see in their eyes the longing to belong, to fit in, to be, to, to be loved like truly loved because even love has become so skewed in our world and in our society. So I just, I, there's such a cry in our land for belonging right now that I just, it's, it's just so heavy and so prevalent. And I, uh, it's even, it's, it's just hard to walk anywhere without feeling it so heavy around me. Yeah. And so I, we're going to hammer this home tonight through, through, through our tour of the Old Testament and New Testament. The fact is that God wants to be with you. So we're going to take a look at Genesis to start out. The original design, what did God originally intend for humanity? And we see it Genesis 2, verses 7 and 19, and then following in Genesis 3, verse 8. So in 2.7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. This paints the picture that God is intimate, that he doesn't want there to be distance between him and man. He literally is up in the dirt. He's got his hands in the dirt, literally forming someone. And if you've ever played with clay or tried molding clay, Play-Doh, you can't play with it or put your hands on it without there being a residue left on you, right? And so there's this element of God's not afraid of getting up close and personal with us. He's not afraid of there being something that comes away from that moment, right? In verse 19, we see him making Eve. It says, now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Sorry, that was creatures. In 
21 and 22, we see how he makes Eve. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought it to the man and said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. So again, we see this very up-close and personal nature. When God created creation, when he created the, the beasts of, of the earth and of the air, and when he made Eve, it was a very tender and intimate thing that he did. It was very up-close and personal. God could have made it from a distance. He could have said a word, just like when he created the heavens and the earth. He spoke. He spoke them into creation. He could have spoken us into creation, but instead he chose to use his hands. And whether you are a literalist of Genesis or believing it's metaphorical, we can see that there is truth here that is foundational to the nature of God. And that is that his nature is for relationship with us, that he creates out of love, out of relationship. So we're going to travel a little bit now to the book of Exodus 19, verse 5. And so we see in the time that's passed from Genesis to Exodus, the fall of man occurs, right? We see that they fell into temptation. They fell to sin and they were kicked out of the garden. We're going to come back to that. Angel's going to come back to that. She got great revelation today about that. But in the process of being kicked out, the Lord still wanted to be with them. Though they could not remain in Eden because of the tree of, of, of life, they could not stay there. But the Lord didn't conclude a relationship with them. God wanted to be with them. And so even as they're in the wilderness, he's still pursuing them. And in verse five, it says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And in verse six, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so God again is calling an entire nation to himself. It wasn't just a personal invitation to Moses. It was an invitation to them all. He wanted them to be a nation of priests. And the role of priest was a really significant role that was offered to, you know, as we see, it becomes a very select few people. The Levites are invited to be priests of God. And when people who are not the Levites approach God, there was punishment for it. So it was a very special, special position to be a priest to the Lord. It conveyed vulnerability. It conveyed intimacy. It conveyed something very powerful. And so the fact that he invited the whole nation to be a kingdom of priests, again, emphasized this desire of God to have all people come to him, to be in relationship with them, to be with them. So God wanted to be with them, even though they were in the wilderness, even though they had sinned and walked away from him. He wanted to be with them. So next we're going to go to John 13, 1 through 20. Do you want to show this? No? Okay. So in John 13, 1 through 20, we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Right? And during this process... It says, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And we see him begin to wash the disciples' feet, even in the midst of sin rising in a man's heart. Uh, Judas was tempted and his heart was turned towards the devil. He turned his heart away from the Lord. He had devised in his heart this plan to betray him. And in the midst of this betrayal, Jesus knew. Jesus wasn't a fool. Jesus had the gift of discernment. He had Holy Spirit. He was walking in the power of God who could have in righteous anger and vindication smited him 
in that moment, he could have said, not today, Satan. <laughs> not on my watch, buddy. But he understood what the Lord was doing. And he showed mercy. He showed grace. He showed kindness. And he washed his feet. It says later in verse 11, for he knew who was about to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And yet he still washed his feet. He still washed his feet. Why? Because even in the midst of his sin, he wanted relationship. He had hope that he could turn his heart back to him. And so... So we see original design. God wants relationship. The garden was perfect. Nothing was wrong. Everything was great. The Lord walked with them in the cool of the day. He walked with them peacefully. He spent time with them regularly. That was the original design. Eden was, was how it was supposed to be. We see sin occurs. They walk away. And even on the outside of Eden, the Lord wants to be with them in a relationship, calling a whole nation to himself, not just one. He wants many. Now, the people in Exodus later, they reject that. It's just a few verses later in Exodus. They reject it out of fear. And it's fear that consistently keeps us from the presence of God. Fear is one of the consistent lies that will take us out of his, his presence and his glory. It could be fear of a lot of things. We know with Judas... Judas was greedy. We know that he was easily tempted and he chose to walk away from the Lord. And even in that choice of walking away, God still offered the invitation of redemption and relationship. We're going to jump to Matthew 28. Now, this is of course, after Jesus has died and rose again. And this is when Jesus is giving them their great commission. I'm going to start in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the ends of the age. And so again, we have this verbal promise and guarantee from Jesus himself that he will always be with us, that he is not going anywhere, even though he's literally about to ascend to heaven. He's about to go somewhere, and he says to them, don't worry, I'm always going to be with you. And I think it's in John where he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will return for you. And so he echoes these promises that he is with us, and the only reason he promises to be with us is because his original design, his original intention has always been to be with us. He created us to be with us. He didn't create us to use us. He didn't create us to be workers on the earth that could fix the problems and maintain another universe or what have you. He created us to be with us, for a relationship with us. We're lastly going to go to Revelations. Taking a little gallivant through Scripture. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4. I'll be honest, I haven't read Revelations in a while. And so when I read this, I was shook, y'all. I was straight shook. I read this and I went, did you know it said this? <laughs> this is good news. <laughs> Sorry, Revelations 21, verse 3 through 4. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Emphasis mine. <laughs> he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And in verse 5, he says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Oh, 
Holy moly, y'all. That is good news. <sighs> like he decided to dwell with us. That was his, de his decision. And God, who is good, who makes no mistakes, who never does anything stupid or foolish, decided to dwell with us. That tells me it is a good thing for God and man to dwell together. That is the joy that we have to share with a lost and dying world. So that sense of belonging I spoke about earlier versus that sense of loneliness, of, of being misplaced or out of place, that feeling of rejection is what the world feels who is far from God. They feel a, a natural sense of rejection to not know their original purpose. How many times have you contemplated yourself, why am I here? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? And we have God, and we ask that question. Now, someone who doesn't have God who asks that question doesn't have an answer, and that is bleak. And we have that answer. We have that joy of their original design and their original purpose. So I have a little note here about, about Genesis. And so I'm going to backtrack just a little bit um, as it relates to the character and nature of God. Um, so like I told you previously, I'm doing a study through the Bible right now chronologically uh, in a school called the Bible Core Course with YWAM. And we studied Genesis, oh man, back in March, I think. And as we studied through Genesis, it highlighted the theological relevance of Genesis and the purpose of it being put in the Bible. You know, because we consider we have 66 books of the Bible. Why these 66? Why these ones? What is the point of it? And so when it comes to Genesis, one of the reasons that God instructed Moses to write the book of Genesis was that it was an anti-myth. Because what was going on at the time of Moses, when Genesis was written, Genesis was written thousands of years after Genesis actually took place. You know, we can't mark when the beginning of the world was, when, when creation really occurred. We don't know exactly. Um, but we know that the account of it was written during Moses' lifetime because Moses was the author. It was revealed to him in Exodus 33 when, when he asked to see God's glory and the Lord hid him in the cleft of the rock and the Lord passed by him and said, you can't see my face, you're gonna die if you do, but you can see my back. And so most theologians believe that in that process of the Lord passing in front of him, that Moses received the revelation of the first five books of the Bible, that he, re he received the revelation of Genesis and how to write Deuteronomy, all those things, that that moment was pivotal in Moses's ministry. So in the process of seeing God's goodness, he began to understand the original design and the, and the intent of creation. And at Moses' time in his life, the people that he was leading were influenced by more than God himself. They were influenced by other nations and the gods that these other nations served. And the gods of these other nations believed crazy things. They had crazy morals, crazy core values. Um, if you think about some of the more primitive and barbaric ways of war, they had gods that they believed taught them these manners of war and sacrificing humans and children and all this crazy stuff. And so the Babylonians had certain gods they, they worshipped that would teach them to live a certain way. And the Egyptians had gods that they worshipped that taught them to live a certain way. And they believed that these gods created them. Now these gods that they served were fickle and petty type gods. If you think about some of the, the Greek mythology, maybe you've heard or seen in movies or TV shows, or the Roman gods, um, they're kind of wacky. You know, thinking about Zeus and Hades and Medusa and, and the things that these people trusted in these gods for were based on their sacrifices, based on their deeds, and they believed that these gods could destroy them in a moment's notice, that there was nothing reliable about these gods, that these gods were in their own little family, Zeus and Hades and the whole lot of them, 
and they were at war with each other and they were taking it out on humans. And so when it rained too much, when there was famine, when there was um, wildfires, they would blame it on the gods. Oh, the gods are fighting again. <laughs> oh, the gods are mad at me. Oh, I didn't sacrifice enough. So that was the world that Moses was living in. He was living with people that believed these foreign gods that were petty and fickle and unreliable, right? So he writes Genesis. That is this account of a God that is personal and he encounters people not for his own purposes, not for the sake of using them, not for the sake of pitting them against one another, but for the sake of relationship. So when Moses brings forth this creation account, it is wildly different from every other version of a creation account that existed. It is completely different than the other narratives that the people were used to hearing. And if you think about evangelism today, I know you're probably like, okay, Katie, nice history lesson. How does this relate? <laughs> if you think about the people we live with in our society today, what do they believe about how people were created or about the original design of people? And if you think about your coworkers or the people you see at the grocery store, your kids' friends, your family members, do they believe in a loving creator that created them for a divine purpose, for relationship? Or do they believe science, Darwinism? Do they believe a big bang? Do, what, what is it they believe? What is their creation story? I want you to think about that for a little bit. So Moses creates Genesis, and it is anti-myth, and it puts in place for us a foundation of God's character. That's the theological purpose of Genesis, to show us that we were created with honor and purpose and destiny at our core. And I say all this to say, when we look at other people, do we see them with honor and destiny and purpose? Because the people that we're called to evangelize this is how God thinks about them. He doesn't just think this way about us. He thinks this way, this way about the sinners, too, about the criminals, about those on death row, those that are shooting up heroin behind abandoned buildings. He's looking at them thinking, that's my kid. That's my son. That's my daughter, the one I created to be in relationship with me. And so this is a foundational core belief that we need when we evangelize is that God wants to be with us, all of us. He's not picky. <laughs> he's not petty. He's not fickle. And he's not unreliable. He's very reliable. And he wants to be with every single human being. Yeah, so the, the beauty... Uh the beauty of who God is for us, um, I, I just, I was undone today as I was reading over the Genesis story again. And in Genesis 3, right when um, Adam and Eve had sinned, right, they, Eve was deceived with the same deception that we all are deceived often with. Um, and it's the same deception the enemy still uses today on people. Um, his argument has never changed, you know, and that is that we could be God, that we can be like God if we would just do whatever, right? And so Jesus comes to them and he hands out the judgment, right? And he, you know, the whole story of Adam, where are you? I'm hiding because I'm naked, and God says, who told you that you were naked? You know, and he, he said, well, the enemy. And, this is, and then he goes in and explains what happens, right? And so then Jesus, or God comes and he, and he hands out, this is the judgment because of what you have done. And right after that, in chapter 3, verse 20, and I, I get undone every time because this is the nature of God. And this is the good news. This is what the gospel story is. It says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. You know, Eve means life, but death was just pronounced over them. And then in verse 21, can't read, 21, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You see, Adam and Eve grab fig leaves to cover their shame. And God said, that's not good enough. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to sacrifice an animal. And I am going to make clothing to cover your shame. That's the good news. That's the gospel story that God's nature is to cover shame, not to expose it. God's nature is to love them into relationship, not to beat them down with our sin. And I think we miss this piece with presenting the gospel because we focus in on sin and shame instead of grace, mercy, and love. And I, I just, every time I read it, I just, I, God, it, you would cover my shame. That's good news. Because nothing I can do, no great work, no working my butt off can ever cover my shame or undo my mistakes. But the blood of the Lamb covered. That's good news. And that is the nature of God. And what I, yeah, I love that. And the other thing that really st sticks out to me from Genesis 3.21 is the fact that how often do we expect someone to walk away when we look less than ideal? Like we expect people to reject us when on our bad days. We expect someone to walk away or we expect God to be judgmental to us, to say, get your act together. That's enough. Stop that. And instead... He chooses to be with us. Like, again, he could have spoken a word. He could have just said, out, take your fig leaves and go. But instead, he came close to them in the garden. And again, he got his hands dirty. He did something personal. He did something that cost him something. And that, we serve a beautiful God that is willing to do something that costs him something for us, to cover us, to be with us. Him being with us costs him something. And that blows my mind. Like, that puts me in awe of God, that we have a God that doesn't insist on, on, on us meeting all of the prerequisites and all of the requirements and showing up perfect and clean and absolutely all together. Instead, we serve a God that says, bring your shame, bring your sin, bring your disease. I want it. I'll take it. That is good news because the world is used to hearing if you've got shame, sin, disease, get out of here. We don't want your kind here. They're even used to hearing the church say that to them. You know, I spoke at youth group last night, and we talked about how sometimes the Lord will test our hearts by sending angels. You know, Hebrews 13.2 tells us that there are times where we are unaware, and we may be hosting heavenly angels. And there was a time where uh, my mom and I felt like we came into the presence of an angel, and it came in, in the shape of a person named John who looked homeless and smelled homeless and acted homeless, talked homeless, until we turned around to give him something and he was gone, absolutely gone, uh, from our kitchen table. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll just tell you the story. So... <laughs> <laughs> this one time, I think I was about eight. This was several years ago. We were at a, a different church at the time, and we had come in for regular Sunday service. And a portion of the way through service, a man comes in, sneaks in the back, sits sits in the back, and some of some of the people of the church made a big deal about the fact that he came in looking the way he did and smelling the way he did. And Lord save them. <laughs> but my mom goes up to him and says, what's your name? What's your story? Where'd you come from? What do you need? And brings him up to the house and we make him lunch and we offer him clothes and toothbrush and food for the road and new socks and the whole, the whole nine yards, the best we got. Um, 
And when we go to, to get the things to bring back to him at the kitchen table, he's gone. He's gone. And we live, we live in the boonies. And so there's a, there's a drive up to our house. And so we're like, well, he couldn't have gotten far. We just, we just went to the room to get a pair of socks, and we come back, and he's not here. He can't, can't have gone far. And so we're looking, and he's nowhere. He is absolutely nowhere. And my, my mom just instantly goes, that was the Lord. That was an angel. We were just tested. I lost my train of thought. How did we get there? God is good. And you know what? Sometimes he sends angels to test us. Dear Lord, bring back that train of thought. Well, I have a Bible verse in open, so we'll just go there. Exodus 34, 6 through 8. <laughs> Whenever the Lord identified himself to Moses, this is how he identified himself. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so I think this was Moses' second encounter with the Lord. He had come down the mountain once, got mad, broke the tablets, had to go back up. <laughs> and this was part of his second encounter. And to me, this almost sounds, this almost sounds to me like a father or like a coach talking to his, his rookie saying, all right, now listen, I, I know they did a bad thing. I know they did. But listen, you, you can't throw things. You can't break things when you get mad. Okay, we got, we got to work it out. Listen, I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. This is who I am. Almost saying, this is the standard. This is what's required of you. Now go back with a new set of tablets. Be gentle. <laughs> They're humans. <laughs> and and this, I think this is beautiful because we do see God's character and nature here. That he is merciful that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in love. He is forgiving, but he is also equally just. And, yes? That's true. Wow. That's an amazing element. So Jeannie just shared that there's a missing element people often skip, and that is that he is equally just, that when Moses went down the mountain and broke the tablets, he had to carry two new ones up himself, and they were heavy, and that was the consequence, his discipline. That is, that is great. Thank you for sharing that. Whew, Selah. Yeah, I, th I think uh, even when we were looking at all the stories, even the story of Judas wrecks me as well because Jesus knew what was in him, and he chose to serve in many ways. The fact that he washed his feet, and, and that is such a lowly, we just kind of, oh, he washed his feet, you know, but, but the, when you know biblical stories and you know the history and how lowly of a thing that is to do, to do to someone who is about to betray you and put you on a cross, it, just, it wrecks me every time. And we were talking about the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, he could have started out with her sin, but he didn't. He started out with what she wanted. You'll never thirst again. You know, here's a woman who was looking to belong somewhere and looking in all the wrong places. And she said, please tell me about never thirsting again. That's the heart and nature of God for the lost and dying. And that is his heart and nature for us. And if we don't understand that, if we never get beyond this part and we never fully understand and grasp the heart and nature of Jesus, we will never present a gospel that the world is looking for because they want to belong. They want to be loved, and they want to be seen, and they want to be heard. They already know what's wrong inside of them. You don't have to tell me my sin. I see my sin. I know it. 
I want you to tell me that there is someone who can walk me through this and get me to the other side and tell me that I am loved and that at the end of the day, no matter what, I'm still loved and I'm still wanted and I'm still needed and I still belong. That is the nature of our Heavenly Father. That is a love that we must comprehend here, even though we can't fully grasp it because we can't naturally experience it by human. That is the love of the gospel. And that is the good news that we have to have a revelation here so that when we take it out there, it is good news. It is the best news that anybody can offer. So we're going to take a minute and we're going to pray. And, you know, we're talking about wanting you to have a revelation. And so we're going to do that. We're going to take a minute and give the Lord an opportunity to speak to each of us. Um, you know, we believe that the Lord loves to speak to his children. And John 10 tells us that he is a good shepherd and we are his sheep and the sheep hear his voice. So we believe scripturally that we can recognize our father's voice speaking to us. Um, and so I want to ask you guys to seek the Lord right now in prayer and ask him, do you want to be with me? Am I the kind of person you want to be with? Do you want to be with me? And I just want you to wait for that response from God. I know Tammy's like, oh, yes, yes, he does. He loves me. <laughs> Come on. And that is amen the gospel. That is so true. But I want you guys to have that moment where if you have any doubt or any insecurity, that God would be able to quell that for you and speak that to you. So we're just going to take a couple minutes. Yeah, I would challenge you. And when, when you hear his voice, ask him, what do you say about me? What do you love about me? You know, I, I hear all the time in mentoring that, oh, I just don't hear God's voice. I, I, I don't, I just can't hear him. And one of the things that you need to know is God is always speaking. And do you know what stops the flow of God's voice? Belief that he, that he doesn't want to talk to you or belief that your sin is greater than his love. That's what stops the voice of God. You know, we're going to get into sin and stuff next week about sin separating, but it's because we believe in the sin more than we believe in the love of God in our life, and that, that we believe that that sin stops his flow and he doesn't want to talk to me because of it. And that is just a lie from the enemy because he's willing to come and bring you clothing to cover your shame so that he can have communion and talk with you. That's the greatness of his love. He's always talking. He longs for you to hear his voice. He longs to sing and dance with you. He longs to have intimacy with you. And he's constantly speaking over you. You know, I, it, one of my favorite revelations is when I, I asked God, I wanted to hear the song that he sang over me. And he just began singing a song, and I heard it as plain as day. That's the Father. We are the apple of his eye. He loves to be with us. Loves it. It's his greatest joy. You're his greatest joy. His best invention, <laughs> his most beautiful work. And he loves to be with you, loves it. We just happen not to believe it. And so we shut down his voice. But he loves whispering in your ear. And he loves to have fellowship and communion with you. Never doubt that he wants to speak to you. It's his greatest joy. That's why he sent his son. It is why he sent his son, his dad fellowship with you. Yeah, and so when I was thinking about how this looks in evangelism, 
You know, if we took these core values and these beliefs and we deduced it into principles and practicals, what does it look like? And so I was praying about it and the Lord reminded me of this story. And this was just from last month. I went to Harrisburg to do evangelism on the streets and I had this very lovely encounter. <laughs> um, we were doing like door-to-door evangelism. We we're walking the streets, handing out tracts and Bibles and praying for people and um, just talking to people about Jesus. And we stopped at a store and one of the guys that I was in the group with, there's three of us, he felt led to offer a tract or a Bible to this one guy. And so while we stopped and he was talking to him, we were right outside the store and I'm talking to the guy leaning against the building, smoking a cigarette. And these two, um, they were like Pacific Islander or not Pacific, maybe Pacific Islanders. They were, they were Islanders. Um, they came out and they had like a real thick, not, I guess not Caribbean, Caribbean Islanders. They had a real thick Caribbean accent and they saw that I was holding Bibles. And this one, one of the two says to me, are you giving out Bibles? Can I have one? And I was like, that's easy. Sure, sure can. And so I hand him a Bible and I'm like, you look like you need one too. And he's like, okay. So I hand the second one a Bible. And I said to him, hey, did you know that you're in the Bible? He's like, what? Come on now. And he thought I was kidding. He thought I was playing with him, right? And I was like, no, like God talks about you in this Bible. You're in this Bible. Did you know that? And he's like, really? I told him, yeah. Do you know what it says about you? And he looks at me again, kind of funny, like, you about to call me a sinner? You about to like say some crap about me? Like, where is this going? And I told him, this, this book that you're now holding, it talks all about you and it's only good. It says that you're loved. It says that you're worthy. It says that you're accepted. It says that the one who created you wants you and wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to set you up for success and not failure. He wants to walk with you through hard stuff. He wants to do easy, fun things with you. He wants to do everything with you. And actually he created you for a really unique purpose. And, uh, and I said to him, do you know why you were created? And he's like, nope, ain't got a clue. And I was like, good thing you got this book. It's about to tell you. Like, <laughs> you're about to find out the coolest things ever, that you're important and needed and necessary and there's gifts for you and there's a calling for you. And this guy had the biggest, widest smile on his face. And he looked at me and he goes, can you follow me around every day? <laughs> and I was like, because that's the kind of hype we need every day, fam. Like, we need our own hype person every day that's like, hey, you know what? Today, you're loved. Hey, guess what? You're needed. Hey, guess what? There's something special that only you can do today. Are you ready to find out what it is? And believe it or not, we actually have that. It's called the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> he is our hype man. He is there every day to remind us of the benefits of our salvation so that we then can share those benefits of salvation with those around us. And so it's important for us to be hype on Jesus. Maybe I should bring it down a bit. It's important for us to be inspired by the living word of God. It's, it's important for us to know what that Bible actually says about us and to believe it, that we would hear the voice of God and believe it, not just so we feel good and have a great day, but so that we can overflow that to those that don't know it. There's a reason God wants to fill us up. And I was, I was so shocked when Mark said it this week. It never hit me like it hit me. So we're in this Holy Spirit series talking about walking in the presence of God. And our pastor says about how the Lord wants to fill us up to overflow, period, to overflow. The point is to overflow. And we hear that so often. And maybe, maybe it's hit you far sooner than it hit me, but it just now hit me. And I understood what it meant that when you're full, it flows over, it comes out of you. And whatever you're filled with is what comes out, like whether you like it or not, you stub your toe and what comes out, you lose your job, what comes out? The best thing ever happens, what comes out? Is it praise, is it worship, is it thanksgiving, gratitude, is it joy of the Lord? What is it? Something comes out of us because we're full of something and if we're full of ourselves, a lot of ick comes out. But if we're full of God, a lot of really good stuff comes out. And so when we're evangelizing, what are you full of? To go to the streets to share, you can't give what you don't got. So you got to get something first. 
And so we got to get filled with the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have to read our word. Sorry, this is like a side sermon, but we have to know our word. We have to be reading our word and be filled by it, be filled by that truth in order to give it away to someone. And so we have to be filled, bringing it back to the point, with a core value that God created man, that God wants to be with man, that God wants to be with us. And it's important that we have that revelation that carries us through the day, that on bad days, on good days, in sin, in shame, in disease, and weakness, God wants to be with you. And for us to know that and to walk in that revelation so that when we encounter the homeless man, we can say, God's not put off by your smell. God's not put off by the dirt on your clothes. God wants to be with you right here, right now on the street corner. More than that, he wants to get you out of the street corner and into a warm, well-fed home. He wants, you to, he wants to be with you where you're at, but he loves you so much he's not going to leave you where you're at, right? Because that's the other hand of evangelism that we're going to get into. Is part of evangelism, it is speaking the gospel. It's telling the truth. It's preaching it, but it's also showing it and revealing it. You know, in James, it tells us that faith that works is dead, that you cannot say to your brother, be warm and be well fed, and then walk away. Part of the gospel, part of our faith is, is the evidence of it. It is the work of faith. It is the, the, the meeting of the needs, seeing them and not just leaving them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you're not confident in the God's love for you, how in the world are you ever going to tell somebody who doesn't believe that themselves that God loves them, especially in the messes that they're in. And if you don't believe that God loves you enough to take care of your needs, how are you ever going to be able to meet the needs of others out of your need? Because you're too worried about meeting your own need that you can't meet the need of others. If we don't believe the basic truths and principles of who God is for us and what he has for us, we will never be able to share the gospel and meet the needs. You know, it, it is speaking about God's love, but it's also meeting the needs. But when we are so encompassed with the fact of, I have too much want to meet the needs of others, I, then all you're presenting to them is a lip service. You know, and that's so true because, oh man, Jesus, bring it back. It was there and it vanished. Yeah, it's, it's, if we're empty for something, ah, okay. Earlier, I had started to say about how important it is to read our word, to know what it says, to believe what it says. Sometimes we don't do the work of believing it, dealing with our unbelief, dealing with our doubt, because we think, so what does it matter if I don't really believe it? So what does it matter if I don't know whether or not I believe in hell? So what does it matter if I don't know where I stand on this issue or that issue? What does it really matter? And if you're not evangelizing, you're right, it doesn't matter. But if you are actively sharing the gospel and sharing the good news of your faith, it matters what you think and what you believe. You know, what, what does it matter if I don't deal with my unbelief? Or what does it matter if I don't wrestle out my stinking thinking? All it affects is me. That's true if you're not evangelizing. But if you're not evangelizing, that also affects the souls of all those around you. And so this is that missing piece. It's the oomph. It's the drive. It's why do we do all the other hard work of salvation? Why, why do we work so hard to keep our body a temple? Why do we work so hard to keep our mind clean and pure and centered on the Lord? Because it has a purpose. That purpose, again, isn't just to make you feel good. It does. It should. It's a benefit of salvation. It's the joy of the Lord in us. That's our strength. And he wants relationship with you because you matter. So you do matter and you experiencing these things do matter. But that's not the end-all, be-all, you see. It goes beyond that through the cross. It goes to those around you. The benefit of your salvation is that you get to give it away. That's an even greater joy of our salvation. It's one of the greater benefits of our salvation is to share it with someone else. So I just planted a garden this past summer, and one of my greatest joys of having like harvested from my garden wasn't just eating it myself, though I felt really good about, dang, I helped grow this thing. I mean, I can't take all the credit because rain and God and stuff, but I did plant this and it grew. The real joy was when I got to share it with someone and they tasted it and they went, hey, this is pretty good. You're right. I think I like veggies. You know, and I was like, holy cow. So there's this fruit that comes. There's this blessing that comes when you share your salvation with someone else. And so we have to do the hard work of salvation in ourselves, on ourselves, let God do it in us so that others reap the fruit 
and they receive a harvest from our lives. Because if all you have to offer them is stinking thinking and like crappy attitudes, that doesn't get anyone to heaven. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm guilty too for having a bad attitude every now and then. But what greater joy, what greater testimony, what greater witness for us to do the hard work of guarding and maintaining our salvation, of letting the Lord wrestle out those sharp things in us so that we're well-rounded and gentle and patient and full of peace, full of wisdom and understanding, that a person would look at that and say, I want that and I need that. And you mean to say I can have that? That is fantastic. So one of the things, this is a really good book, by the way, if you have not, it's Ed Silvaso, Ecclesia. It's just really, really good. He, has, he does a really good one. It's called Anointed for Business. So if you're business owners, it's a really great, great um, book. But um, he talks a lot about taking the gospel outside of the church and how we, um, you know, we did this really great gift series and we talked about all the gifts and the miracles men unto God. One of the things that happens when we're talking about meeting the needs of those around us is activities don't cost anything, right? Healing the sick, prophesying, they are a free gift that God drops in us so that we can move in his giftings to draw men unto him, right? But it's the meeting of the needs of those around us. It's presenting the gospel with not just words, but deeds that cost you something. Um, let me see if I can find it. Clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, ministering to the incarcerated, and opening our home, homes to strangers all require a substantial personal investment on our part. I did not know you because you prophesied you know, you did all of these gifts, but it didn't cost you anything. Those were things that I gave you that you moved in. I need you to preach the gospel and meet the needs. And so it's out of overflow. But if we're so busy, here's the other piece that I just keep hearing is, if we're so busy taking care of our stuff and junk in our own lives that we never get it together enough to go outside of ourself, then we've become narcissistic just like the world. In, in, the, in the disguise of self-help and, and enlightenment with God. And that is not what we're here for. The price was paid for our life so that out of overflow, we preach the new, good news and disciple nations. And discipling nations is not gifts that are dropped. It is meeting the needs of those around us in community. So... Get overflowed. Stop focusing in on how much you don't matter and how much you mess it up and how can a God really love me? And know that he loves you and he loves speaking to you and he wants to be with you so that you are overflowing to those who do not know. So it's time for round two of activation. So I'm going to invite you to partner up. I think we're an odd number, so maybe grab a third somewhere. Um, and you're going to turn to your partner, and you are going to practice sharing about a God who created the person in front of you to be with you, right? Uh, so like sharing the gospel on this foundation that we've talked about. So for your partner, pretend like you're unsaved. Pretend like you're really hungry and you want to know who God is. And you're like, hey, who's God? Are you a Christian? Can you tell me about him? And partner, you're going to practice sharing in your own words some of the things we've talked about. Like, like from Genesis, original design. You're created for a purpose. Just practice getting those words in your mouth. That I know it's going to feel a little bit weird and a little bit uncomfortable, but it'll feel a lot less weird out there if you've already done it a dozen times in here where it's safe to sound funny. So <laughs> does that make sense? Do you guys have any questions? Sound funny and get it wrong. It's okay. <laughs> Be foolish <laughs> for the Lord. Okay. So 
Oh, no, you're going to participate, too. Don't worry. Everyone's participating. <laughs> come on down, Alex. Yeah, Alex can come down from his cave. We'll partner with the other guy in the room. There you go. All right, so let, let's go for the next 10 minutes, and then we'll draw back together and close, okay? Switch. Switch your partners yes. around. Take turns. Take a turn. Share in the gospel. Alex is coming, Dad. All right, all my evangelists, can I hear a woo woo? I said, all my evangelists in the house, can I hear a woo woo? <laughs> so proud. Good job. All right, I'm going to draw you back in. And I'm, how was that? What was that experience like for all of y'all? Yeah? She did. She got real excited. She got like two senses in and then she looked at me and she was like, what am I doing? <laughs> and you know what? That happens. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're practicing. Because it does, these do feel like very foreign words to come out of our mouths if we're not used to doing it every day. And so we're going to practice for at least the next six weeks. And before you know it, you're going to be a real evangelist ready to hit the streets, every person, everywhere, you'll be like, you know, Jesus, because I do, and you're about to. <laughs> I will say, it, it's fun if you make it fun, and it's awkward if you make it awkward. So if we, if we choose to have a good time with it, it goes pretty well. So did you have a good time back there? Yeah? <laughs> did, you get, did you get her saved? Hallelujah. Come on, we're going to start a revival. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's great. Well, I was so glad you guys had a good time with this. Do you guys have any questions, comments, anything like that? You want to share your revelation? And act, that's actually a principle of the kingdom that is very applicable to many things. Like favor multiplies when you give it away. When, when you're gifted with something and you are generous with it, God sees that generosity and has favor on us. And he gives us even more knowing that we'll be good stewards. And so if we want God to keep pouring into us, we have to be good stewards of what he's already put in us. And so we have to open our mouth and steward it. Whew. All right, and on that note, if there's no other comments or questions, then we will close. Last chance. Okay, all right, let's close. Do you want to pray us out? Father God, we just thank you that you are good and you are faithful. Lord, and that your mercies are new every day. Father, you look at your children and just say, hey, I created that and she's amazing. God, what a beautiful revelation of your love towards your children tonight, God. Lord, may you overflow in us and through us so that all the world would know of the good, good Father who sent his son for us. God, go with us as we leave this place, and may we become very aware of those who are hungry for what we have. In your holy name we pray, amen. God bless. Remember, next week there is not evangelism class. There is School of the Presence at 6 o'clock. So come and join us for that. And then in two weeks we will be back together for evangelism. <laughs>